0: It's time to write a new story. This is Success Stories with Madison Piper. It's the place where women discuss how to make an impact. Here's your host, Madison Piper. Hello, Success Stories listeners. Thank you for coming today. I'm so excited that you are here listening to this because, well, I'm excited because today's episode is one that I have been super excited about for a long time because, well, let's just say I'm a pretty big fan of today's guest. Now, if you're an avid reader, especially in the space of personal development, you've probably heard of Lovie Ajayi Jones, a two time New York Times best selling author, sought after speaker, and podcast host who thrives at the intersection of humor, media, and most importantly, social justice. As a self proclaimed professional troublemaker, Lovie has always pushed the envelope, and she's always been a writer, although she hasn't always called herself that. But now, with two critically acclaimed instant bestsellers, she knows that being a writer has always been part of her identity. So today, we talk to Lovey about her story, about the importance of saying no to other people in order to say yes to yourself, and about identity crises and imposter syndrome. But most importantly, we talk to her about privilege. Now, I know that sounds scary to some people. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to talk about it. But today we talk about why it's important to recognize your privilege, not deny it, and how you can use your privilege to lift up others and create lasting change in the world. So, Lovey, thank you for coming here on Success Stories today. I am so excited to have you here and to have this conversation. Thank you for having me. All right. So we actually got a chance to meet a few months ago, back when you came into the success room, which is that live series that we run on the success Instagram page. And I was so fascinated with you from that point forward and your story and everything that, you know, you talk about in regards to fear and whatnot. But for our listeners, I kind of want to start from the beginning because your story is crazy. I mean, from your vacation to the U S which wasn't a vacation. And your, you know, pursuit of becoming a doctor and then not a doctor to the lovey that we all know and love today. So, uh, if you wouldn't mind, can we just start from the beginning?
1: Yes, indeed. Um, I was born and raised in Nigeria, and um, we moved to the U.S. when I was nine years old. I thought we were going on vacation. We were not, and I figured that out when I got enrolled in school. You know, so yeah, I I wanted to be a doctor since I was four years old. You know, I wanted to help people, and I was bookish and I was nerdish and. People would always tell me, you're going to be a doctor. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. So it was definitely one of those dreams that I brought with me. And um, I held on to it for a while. And then I started college, uh, declared my major in psychology pre-med. And, you know, all was going well that first semester. I had to take Chemistry 101, though. Um, You know, I was used to coasting in school, getting A's and B's without actually trying. And Chemistry 101 was a major moment. It was a come to Jesus moment because I ended up getting the first ever D of my academic career. And I instantly was like, well, the doctor dream is dead. Like, I don't <laughs> think I want to do this. I don't even think I like hospitals. So I instantly dropped the pre-med in that dream. And I was like, you know what? I don't think being a doctor was actually my dream. Um, that same semester I actually started, uh, my first blog because my friends peer pressured me into, into doing it and uh it was chronically my undergrad career it was like you know roommate beefs i was having random exams i wasn't studying for and you know just the journals of a 18 year old you know who was out on her own for the first time and i think that blog really was a gift because it got me into writing outside the classroom uh and i loved it so when i graduated with my degree in psychology in 2006 i deleted that college blog and started What is now awesomelylovey.com? And I was like, you know what? Instead of writing about myself and my life, I'm going to talk about what I see in the world. And in this blog, I was able to talk about random things about, you know, shenanigans, TV shows I'm watching, you know, race, religion, anything I felt like. And it was from the angle of speaking the truth out loud, whatever that looked like, however I was feeling that day. And, um, it was such a gift because I thought writing was just a hobby. At no point did I think writing was a career for me. I thought it was just something that was cute that I was doing. And, uh, you know, I'd go to work for my nine to five as a marketing coordinator and I'd come home and blog. And I did this thing even though it wasn't paying me, even though I didn't know who was reading. I actually didn't really care who was reading because I was kind of writing just in the way that felt most real. And that was the gift because it gave me the practice of telling the truth out loud in public without pretense, without strategy, without any type of expectation. And when we do that, we are the truest version of ourselves. And that's honestly the gift that that early on writing did for me is because I thought it was just a hobby. I did it in a way that was as true as possible. So Mm -hmm. April 2010, I got laid off my full-time job, which shocked me. But I think it was the universe kind of pushing me to take the leap of faith I wasn't going to do myself. Mm -hmm. So that was the last time I had a full-time job. I just kept on writing. I kept on doing marketing for small businesses and fellow entrepreneurs. And I realized that, okay, the title of writer was something that I was really afraid of. I was afraid of it because I thought about writers as like Toni Morrison, Zora Neale Hurston. Maya Angelou's a writer, you know. And those women are icons, they are trailblazers. And I felt like to call myself the same thing that people would call those women felt like it was like wearing a coat that was too big. So I hid from the writer title for a while. I was like, oh, I'm a blogger, oh, I have a blog. But I think um, 2012 is when I actually ran out of excuses to not call myself a writer. I got credentialed to do press coverage at the Academy Awards. And I was backstage, and I was next to journalists from Entertainment Tonight, from CNN, from BBC, and here I am as Awesomely Lovey in the same space as them. And we all got there because of our words. And I literally ran out of excuses. I was like, "I guess I am a writer. Like, <laughs> I'm here, so I I can't hide behind blogger anymore. I my words are what I'm using to connect to people. My words are getting me into major rooms. My words are." Um, really impacting people in a great way so i am a writer and i think from that moment on it was kind of like all these doors opened for me it was almost like the universe and god were like i was just waiting for you i was just waiting for you to accept this thing that was yours that you've been working Mm -hmm. towards for a long time and uh yeah so got my first book deal in 2015. that book i'm judging you the do better manual came out in 2016. Instantly hit the New York Times best list, changed my career and my life, opened all types of doors I didn't even know existed. Uh, in 2017, I did a TED Talk called Get, Getting Comfortable with Being Uncomfortable that went viral that now has over 7 million views. That also changed my life and my career a little bit. And then this year, I came out with my second book, Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual, instantly hit the Times list. And... You know, there are these moments in my career that are hockey stick growth moments. And each Mm -hmm. one of those have been that. But yeah, so that's the Cliff Notes version of the journey.
0: I love it. And I mean, obviously, like writing is your purpose. Right. Like you didn't know that when you were in college and you were chronicling the adventures with your your roommates or exams or anything. But the way that you write, the way that you can put words onto paper really makes an impact in the other people's lives. It makes them laugh and smile and think. And, you know, this journey has proven that it's your purpose, but it can be really hard to kind of find that identity and find that purpose. I think a lot of people struggle with it and they allow other people to tell them, you know, who they're supposed to be in the world. Now, that's something you were able to escape early on with the pre-med dreams and everything and say, you know, this isn't my purpose and kind of go elsewhere. But how did you become okay with maybe letting down other people in order to avoid letting yourself down?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, that's such a great point. We spend a lot of time... Trying to make sure we don't disappoint other people and then we end up disappointing and betraying our own selves. And I deeply believe that we weren't born for the sake of not disappointing other people. Our purpose is bigger than other people's expectations of us, other people's ideas about us. And when we're constantly chasing making other people happy, it's a futile mission. Because here's the thing about humans, like we're really fickle. One day we like one thing, the next day we might not like it. Our ideas and our thoughts and our likes and wants are super flaky <laughs> so just on a logical level, if you're constantly trying to please flaky people, which we all are, mm-hmm. you're gonna constantly have to shape shift depending on people's whims that day, and that is exhausting, you know, and I think it's why we have to double down on who we are because. If you insist on changing who you are, what you want, you know, how you move based on people's whims. Even you will never be settled. You'll be on this constant mission and you'll be wondering why it's not working. It's because it wasn't designed to work. It's not something that you're supposed to be chasing. I think we have to be perfectly fine with letting people down Mm -hmm. as long as we're making ourselves proud, because at the end of our lives, we're the ones who have to contend with how we lived it, not the other people who we try to not disappoint. You know, we, we're we going to disappoint our parents. We're going to disappoint our friends, our, our partners. It is what happens when you are on a life that is, it's not about being selfish, but it's about being like purposeful. If you're going to mm-hmm. be living a purposeful life, you're going to disappoint people. It is just an occupational hazard and you have to just start being okay with it. Understanding that, yeah, your job is not to make everybody happy because if you make everybody else happy and you're miserable, what was the reason? You know, what did you actually accomplish? You're sitting at home miserable and after giving everybody everything and they have all parts of you and you have nothing left for yourself. So for me, I had to get OK with disappointing people pretty early, knowing that I'm not saying no and I'm not I'm not changing my course for the sake of making somebody upset. Mm-hmm. But I'm doing something that feels deeply purposeful to me, to my reason for being on this earth. I'm doing something that is do- having a positive impact on other people. So if there are people along the way who are not happy about it, that's not my business. And I think that freedom, women especially, are never really given the freedom to just disappoint people,
2: mm-hmm. let
1: people down. As long as you're honoring yourself, your calling, your purpose, your truth. And being a good person in the meantime, I think you're doing your job. Everything else is extra.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, I think a lot of people and a lot of our listeners possibly put their identity into other people's hands, even though they know what's being pushed on them isn't, you know who they want to be. It's not what they want to be, but they, they allow it. And the fear of disappointing people, like we just talked about, but I mean, when you do it once, when you say, okay, this isn't what I want. So I have to disappoint this person in order to pursue what I want or what I want. Does it get easier after that? And can you tell everybody a little bit, maybe about when you told your mom, you weren't going to be a pre-med student anymore.
1: That was graduation, right? Graduation. So does it get easier sometimes? Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, because sometimes you think, oh, my God, I'm going to let them down. They're going to stop talking to me. Whatever the worst case scenario is, you're like, I don't want that. Oh, my God, they're going to reject me. So that first time might be shocking to your system because you're like, I might lose everything. And then you don't lose everything. And you go, oh. Oftentimes, the person who you were afraid of disappointing goes, no, like, I support you. Do what Mm -hmm. feels real. And you go, whoa. And I was afraid of this this whole time. And I think the next time it gets you a little bit more gumption, a little bit more confidence to do that thing. For me, um, yeah, I didn't tell my mom that I dropped my pre-med major. I didn't tell her that I wasn't going to be a doctor until she came to graduation. And there was no pre-med graduation for her to go to. There was psychology. and There was liberal arts and sciences. And she was like, what happened to pre-med? And I was like, yeah, about that. About that. I dropped that freshman year. But I was able to also kind of... Uh, I had a leg to stand on because I spent four years in college. I graduated on time. I never got in trouble. My grades were great. She came on campus at one point because I ended up on the Dean's list because I had straight A's that semester. So by the time I told her that I wasn't going to be a doctor, I'd already proven that I could be trusted with my life. Mm -hmm. I'd already proven that I was responsible and and deeply focused on what I needed to get done. If I was, you know failing or constantly getting in trouble and then I was like oh I'm not gonna be a doctor yeah that might not have gone that well but by the time I graduated and I was like yeah I'm not gonna be a doctor I'm gonna do something else she was like okay Mm -hmm. because I'd also proven that I'm somebody who is worth trusting so the other part of all of this is if you're gonna embark on a life that's purposeful you also have to be somebody who's proven that you're trustworthy in that purpose so you can't be the person who just Any given day, you're just changing your mind every two days. And then you're wondering why people are side-eyeing you and saying, like, what now? What is changing now? Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that you honor your word. You honor who you say you are. That you show up time and time again as consistent, as reliable, as clear. So then, yes, when you do pick a different path, people are actually less willing to question you. Because they're like, you know, they figured it out up until this point. You know, they've shown that they are a person of integrity. So that means if they make this different move, it must be something they've thought through. Be mm-hmm. somebody who people are less questioning of because of how you operate. So I am reliable. I am pretty consistent. I was the kid who didn't get in trouble. My mom didn't get calls from my teachers to be like, oh, my gosh, she's not doing this thing. Whether I was in high school, elementary school, and of course, college, you're an adult. So, yeah, by that point, she was just like, okay. She asked me no questions. Figured it out myself. So that was important. And I think even now, whenever I decide to pivot, people are less questioning of me
2: mm-hmm. because
1: I've shown up time and time again and shown that whatever I do, I'm doing it with integrity. You know, mm-hmm. it shows up. And when I call my friends and say, I have a random idea, I know it sounds crazy. Say yes to me and they'll go, all right, cool, I'll ask you questions later. And I think that trust is built over time in how you operate in this world. So yeah, at this point, I am less afraid of disappointing people because the people who will actually be disappointed are not people who really know who I am. Mm-hmm.
0: That's really great advice that it starts with who you are and being a person of integrity and being consistent. Because if you are all of those things, like people don't really have a leg room to question you or your decisions it's like, well, she obviously knows what she's doing, right? So, who am I to jump in and tell her how to live? Um, but you mentioned pivoting, and that's a, a good segue into something else I want to ask you, and that's about the word quit. Okay, mm. like I think, especially in the personal development space, and um, you know, we are Success Magazine. I think a lot of people have this idea that success is never quitting, and like, you know, never quit, never quit, never, quit, never give up, never quit. But there are times where it's okay to quit. And then there are times where it's not okay to quit. So let's talk a little bit about that.
1: Yes, I think quitting gets a bad rap. (laughs) I think quitting gets a bad rap. You know, we hear all the times, don't quit, just keep going. And sometimes I think that's terrible advice. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you should quit when you realize the direction you're going is not where you really should be going. I think sometimes you should go, you know what, I learned a lot, but I'm going to go this way. And for me, I think about, how I quit my this doctor dream. I'm not an easy quitter. Like, I, you know, I don't face a wall and I go, okay, well, I guess that's it. I'm going to leave. But something in me insisted on letting that go very quickly. And it was clearly my intuition that was like, yeah, you weren't supposed to do this. I think sometimes when we fail, which a D for me is a failure, of course, mm-hmm. I think the failure is a teacher. The failure is to tell us what we were not doing or what we should be doing different. So in that moment that failure told me that I should be doing my career different or I should be thinking about something else for what I do in my life. And when you fail, sometimes assess, is this a moment where I need to pivot? Is this something that I need to actually double down on and get better at? Or do I actually, or did I just get the message of this is not for you, walk away? Whether it's a job, relationship, whether it's friendship, whatever that is. I think quitting is actually important on the path to success because you learning what you don't want to do is just as important as learning what you do want to do. You learning what you shouldn't do and how you should be better is absolutely part of the journey. And every leader, every successful person has had to quit something,
2: mm-hmm. You know,
1: has had to fail at something and be like, oh, let me adjust something. And if you have not failed, you've not really done anything major. So I think you should quit. When you get to a point when you realize that this thing, this path, this job is not for me, this company is not for me, I need to pursue something that will be more aligned with my work. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, you're like kind of like fueling a fire in me right now um, because I think and I see with a lot of people that I know, and I know that a lot of our listeners and people who come to success will just continue trying the same thing over and over and over again. And they're getting the same results, right? Yes. It's And that's like literally the definition of insanity, Correct. but becoming okay with just saying, okay, well, this obviously isn't working for me. It's never worked for me. And it's probably never going to work for me. And that's because I'm not supposed to be doing it, right?
1: Correct. Correct. So, I think that's and there's no shame in that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I think learning those lessons is something to be prideful of. Because now mm-hmm. you know more. You know mm-hmm. more. You can operate different. Mm-hmm. Do something different.
0: Yeah. So flash forward and, you know, obviously now you're a writer, you had the blogs and that became your book. I'm judging you. And then that became, you know, professional troublemaker and everything. But you said that you really struggled with calling yourself a writer until you ran out of excuses to talk, call yourself a writer. So I want to talk a little bit about identity, um, and like accepting your identity and kind of getting rid of that imposter syndrome is imposter syndrome, something that you face, still in your
1: career? Or have you kind of
0: yeah. jumped over that
1: hurdle? I think imposter syndrome is something we all face, but it just mm-hmm. looks different. And as we advance in our careers, it shifts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in not being, in, in thinking I wasn't a writer, what was happening is I wasn't thinking and I wasn't realizing that I was good enough at what I was already doing to call myself that. If you are doing the work, you are that. If you are writing and putting words on paper every day, whether or not you won any awards or published any books, you're a writer. If you're taking photos of people or objects or just always using your camera to capture the world and it fuels you and you when you don't do it, you feel like you're not doing your part. You're a photographer. We often you know, think we have to over earn you know, our title in this world, overprove our worth. And what it does is it, it means we end up minimizing a lot of our gifts. You know, I was minimizing my gift and I was like, oh, writing is just a hobby. No, no, you are a writer. You're really good at this. And I think imposter syndrome is such a hater because it really does lie to us. It tells us that we are not ready for the opportunities or good enough for the title or even um, worthy of where we find ourselves. So, and I think the way we can use imposter syndrome to fuel us is that when you feel like you're not good enough, you're constantly practicing your craft, right? You're like, oh, I got to get better at it. So for the the very thing about that feeling is that you will practice more. Practice makes better. It doesn't make perfect. It makes better. So then you actually do get better. So that is how you can use imposter syndrome to fuel you. Some people use imposter syndrome to stop them, where they go, I'm not worthy of this. Mm -hmm. And they either stop doing whatever it is well, they self-sabotage, or they'll quit something that they're actually not supposed to quit because they just don't think they can do it. Mm -hmm. In those cases, yes, imposter syndrome is an absolute weapon, all right? But I just think we should use it more as a driver. If you're like, Mm -hmm. you know what? I don't think I'm that good at it yet and get better practice it take more classes you know spend more time on it and then you will get better just for the pure time and extra effort that you're spending on it don't let it be the thing that makes you quit if somebody gives you a raise and you say well, i don't know if I, sh- I don't know if i can do this i'm not sure if i can accept it in that moment you're letting it stunt you and that's when it's highly unfortunate
0: You know, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome here at Success. And I think that you're the first person that I've ever spoken to that's been able to flip it as a good thing and like flip it in a way that you can turn it into a positive to just get better at your craft. I've never heard it put that way before.
1: I love hearing that. No, I I really, really do believe Mm -hmm. is a fuel. It's a driver for me. Mm -hmm. If I ever think I'm in a room where I don't think I belong, what I realize is, okay, my job in this room, whether or not I think I belong... Is to add value, whatever that is. And I'm just going to show up as myself. So I don't know why I got there, but I'm here. So while I'm here, let me use it to just be memorable. Let me make sure I'm coming in this room and adding something positive to it. So mm-hmm. I do think we should use imposter syndrome to drive us. Use it to fuel you. If you're going to have it, well, great. Now use it for your own betterment and for the betterment of other, everybody else.
0: I love that. I'm going to quote you on that. I'm 100% going to quote you on that. So you're going to see it come across our feeds. But um, so speaking of, you know, using imposter syndrome to do better um, or to get better, I want to talk about doing better. So we're going to take a quick break. um, But when we come back, we're going to talk all about how to do better according to Lovey. All right. Okay. So we're back, Lovey, And I want to talk about your first book, Um, I'm Judging You, The Do Better Manual. What does it mean to do better?
1: Yeah, I'm judging you. It's so funny. That whenever I say this, people go, oh my God, you named your book, I'm judging you. Yes, I did. Because I think we're operating in this world where we're judging each other on the things we're not supposed to. You know, the color of our skin, how much we weigh, who we worship or not, who we love or not. And instead, we should be judging each other on how we are showing up for our fellow human beings.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How are we showing up to make the world better than we found it? How are we using our voice for somebody else's gain? That's not us. That's why I'm judging us. I'm judging, because we're already all judging each other. Whenever people say, oh my God, I'm judging you, that's so harsh. No, it's not. Humans are wired to make judgments on each other, whether we think we are or not. My goal and, and what I hope we do is we start making judgments on the things that actually matter, not what we look like, but like, How do we show up to honor the humanity of other people? So how we do better? I mean, we're going to have to be more clear about what are the things that we're thinking about other people? How are we treating each other? How are we using our power for Mm -hmm. the greater good? That's how we need to do better.
0: So you just brought up using our power for the greater good, and that's a good um, you know, segue into something else I want to talk to you about that might be uh, I don't know, some people might not want to listen to it, but we're going to talk about it because it's really important. And I want to talk about privilege. What is yeah. privilege? What is privilege not? And how can you use the privilege that you have?
1: Yeah, people hear privilege is shut down. Oh my mm-hmm. God, privilege. Privilege does not mean you never worked for anything. Privilege does not mean you're not somebody who has strived and, and you know, had hard times. Privilege is simply... The things about you that you did not earn, the things about you that don't set you back in a world that is, you know, really judgmental about people based on their race, their religion, you know, how dark they are, um, yeah, their gender identity. So for example, I talk about the privilege walk, which is something that I learned in, in college as a Counseling center a paraprofessional um, two and a half years while I was in college, our first semester, they were training us on being aware of the space that we take up in this world before we go out and mentor our peers. And the privilege walk was such a powerful exercise, a so physical manifestation of what privilege actually means. And it's everybody stands in, a, in the same line to start this exercise, And throughout the exercise, a comment is made. You either step forward, you step back, or you stay in the same place you were in. You know, so statements like, step forward if you can find a Band-Aid that's the color of your skin. Step back if you ever worried where your next meal is coming from. Step back if people mispronounce your name all the time. Step forward if both your parents are college educated. Ultimately, at the end of the exercise, everybody, even though we all started at the same place, ended up in different places mm-hmm. some people are further ahead some people behind and it is a visual manifestation of privilege because whether or not you are all in the same room now what you've had to overcome was different yes some people had to come from households where yeah they did not know whether they could eat that day they did not have more than 10 books in their house when you walk out the house you're not sure if you're going to come back you know just based on the fact that you're walking with dark skin Mm-hmm. And for me, I remember when we were about to do the privilege walk, I thought, you know, I'm a Nigerian woman. I'm black. Um, I'm probably going to end up in the back for the privilege walk. Right. At the end of the exercise, I was in the middle. Some of my classmates were behind me. Why was I in the middle? Because I'm somebody who was not poor. I've. It's always been a foregone conclusion. I was going to go to college. Mm-hmm. I'm straight. I'm cisgender. I speak two languages. I'm Christian, like Mm -hmm. all those different things are the privileges I I carry. Mm -hmm. So it really left a mark on me, making me realize I have way more power than I thought. Just because I'm black and a woman does not mean those two margins means I have zero power. I'm also, yeah, all those different things gave me privilege and it really made me feel convicted. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: How am I showing up in a room and using my power to make sure those who were behind me in that exercise can be next to me? in a new world as we're designing this? How do I make sure that I walk in a room and if I am one of the most powerful people there, somebody else feels more powerful because I'm in there? Mm -hmm. You know, how do I make sure I use my voice for somebody else who does not have the same access, who does not have the same name recognition, who does not have the same background to even infuse them with the confidence? So that's what privilege is. And I think all of us have some of it. If you're actually... Tapped into what Success Magazine is doing, I guarantee you have more privilege than you realize. Yes. You know, just because you probably have a decent job. You probably have a house to go to. You probably, like, especially right now, you don't have to worry about whether you're going to eat a meal tonight or not. So that already means that you are walking with a lot more power than you're using. And the thing about power and privilege is it's, it's infinite. If you use it in service of other people, you don't lose it. You don't wake up the next day and go, oh, my God, I have less power than I had yesterday. No, Mm -hmm. power is infinite. It replenishes itself. So if I use my power for you, I don't wake up the next day being like, oh, I guess now I have to work harder because I just did that thing for them. I think we all need to understand that we exist in this world, not just for the service of us, but for the greater good of humanity. Humans have been able to last this long because we've been collective. We've made sure we've had each other's interests in mind, not just our own individual ones. And I just think we're getting more and more selfish. So, yeah, I want people to use their privilege more Mm -hmm. in service of other people.
0: Well, you know, I feel like, like you said earlier, people hear the word privilege and all of a sudden they jump on the defense, right? Like you're saying it's a bad thing or something. It's not a bad thing. Like you said, power is infinite. Like you can still use your privilege for good and like recognize it without – losing it just because you're trying to give back to other people doesn't mean that you're losing anything yourself yeah. right and
1: so, privilege is not a judgment mind mm-hmm. you know it just is it's a mm-hmm. fact like sky is blue you have privilege it's the mm-hmm. it's not an indictment it's not you being scolded it's that you were lucky enough to have certain things about you That Mm -hmm. you actually probably didn't even work that hard for. Like the fact that if you were born white, you didn't work to be white. You were born Mm -hmm. white. If you were born rich, you did not work to be rich. You were born rich. I was born into a Christian family. I didn't work for that, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm straight. I didn't work for that privilege. Mm -hmm. So it is not a judgment. And I want people to remove that idea and realize that when somebody points out your privilege, they're pointing out a fact about you. Mm -hmm. Just like if you were wearing a red shirt <laughs> and I say, Oh, you have on a red shirt. What do you mean I have on a red shirt? I was just dating an obvious. Mm-hmm. So it's not a fight, it is more of a fact. And I think more times than not, when people get defensive about it, it's because they feel guilty because they actually yes. know that they have not been using their privilege in service of other people. So when it's pointed out, it is a self indictment that they then externalize to other people.
2: Mm-hmm
0: you know, I I agree that it's 100% that it's the guilt. It's like they're projecting that guilt onto you. And that's why they get so defensive all of a sudden because they know they're not doing what they can. So where can people start? Like, what do you recommend like you start with in order to start using your prep, like your privilege to help empower other people?
1: Yeah. You can start anywhere at your, you know what? I I think often we, we think about making the world better as these large moments where we donate big money or we volunteer Mm -hmm. 30 hours. No, It's in the small moments that we're presented with every day. So it might mean you're at work and an intern tries to speak at a meeting and somebody interrupts them. You as a person who's been in this company for 10 years can say, hey, I'd love to hear what this intern has to say. Mm -hmm. In that moment, you are using your privilege to make sure that that person is heard and seen and affirmed. That matters. It might mean you are, you know, at the table as your uncle makes a bad joke and you say, hmm. That's not okay, uncle. I think we should be a bit more thoughtful. In that moment, you're using your privilege to disrupt what has happened. That's not okay. So I think start in the everyday moments. Think about the times when you can use your power without, you know, much on the line to make sure somebody else's ideas are heard. It might even mean somebody might not be in the room and you say, have we thought about how they will feel about this? That is using your privilege. So yeah, small moments.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So it's it's all about the small moments, and like you said, it's helping other people become heard and everything. And and something that brings to mind that I've seen that you you do like super well. And this is one of the reasons I love following you so much, Lovey, is because you pass the mic and you highlight other women. You are so just dedicated to empowering like other women in your circle, other women in your space, and everything. And I want to talk about what it means to empower women, and you know, empowered women empower women, and. So I guess I'll start with a quote that you have that I really, really like. And that's, in a world that tells women to whisper, I yell.
2: So Mm -hmm. does that
0: have, what does that quote
1: mean as a whole? And let's go from there. Yeah, I think for me, one of the ways I try to use my power as a woman who's outspoken, who has built a career on using her voice, Mm -hmm. is that I'm hoping that in my boldness, other people take permission from it to say and do what they feel compelled to do. I'm hoping that me as a Black woman who often does face certain types of prejudice, who is still showing up as herself in spite of all of those things, um, I'm hoping other people see it and say, you know, if Lovey can do that, then you know what, I can do it too. And that's one of the things that people have told me about Professional Troublemaker, my book, is how they read the book and it's actually moved them to do different things. I recently had somebody tell me that they read my book And asked for a raise that was double their current salary. And they got it. Wow. And she was like, I would not have done that had I not read your book. And I'm like, that is the best case scenario of anybody who sees my work. Is that they actually do take some action that does feel like yelling in the world that wants us to whisper. You know, women are, we're expected to be quiet and nurturing. And nurturing means receiving everybody's crap and not saying nothing about it. Yes. Right? Right? And, you know, in a world that says women need to be really like, we can't be arrogant. We got to be really humble. I want to be the woman who says, no, I'm really amazing at what I do. And you know it too. So other people can say you can, you don't have to downplay yourself to be a good person. You don't have to reject your gifts or deny your gifts to be humble. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to be the person who is receiving other people's projections and insults in quiet. I want you to know that you have the right to use your voice, to use yourself, to use your life, you know, as a testimony of what's possible when you don't apologize simply for existing. And that's what that quote honestly means. Like in a world that wants us to whisper, I choose to yell because you will hear my voice even when you don't want to. You know, even when you think I don't have a right to speak, even when you feel like I need to apologize for who I am, I will show up as myself without apology Mm -hmm. and you will deal
0: Thank you for saying that. And then thank you for bringing up the fact that this nurturing concept that everybody pushes on women is just a way to say, you have to absorb everybody else's crap.
1: Yep. Yep. And we're not doing it anymore. And, you know, I think Mm -hmm. we spend so much time, like women have been told, oh my God, you have to be so humble. You can't be greedy. So then we don't ask for raises. Mm No, you you can't uh, wear a certain thing or a certain color all the time. We've been told so many times to shift ourselves to just not take up space.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I'm like, I'm rejecting that on behalf of all of us. Mm-hmm. And I am surrounded by women who also reject that notion. I, And I, the part of the reason why I, I loudly cheer on women who are living these bold lives is I want this to not be extraordinary.
2: Mm-hmm. I want
1: this to become normal where people go, no, oh, yeah, no, you're supposed to be your full self in this way. Where it stops being... Shocking to people's system when a woman decides to speak her mind in any room that she's in. I want us to normalize women being audacious, being bosses. I don't like stuff like girl boss, Mm -hmm. you know, like the phrase girl boss or mompreneur. Mm -hmm. You're a boss, period. You're an entrepreneur, period. It does not have to be added. Like an adjective does not have to be added. A girl boss. What does that mean? I'm a boss. Mm -hmm. You know, what I mean, like I'm a speaker. I am a thought leader. I'm not a female thought leader. I'm Mm -hmm. a woman who happens to be a thought leader. Mm -hmm. I am a woman who happens to run her own company. I'm a woman who's been on grand stages. So I want us to also normalize the fact that if you say girl boss, then you've made the default of boss man. Mm -hmm. If you have to qualify it with girl, then you're saying when you hear boss, it automatically means man. Mm -hmm. And that is a problem that I want us to cut through. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're saying mompreneur, you're saying, okay, so all the other entrepreneurs are dads, Mm -hmm. right? Like, is that the default that we're accepting? And I'm like, no, no, no. We're entrepreneurs. We Mm -hmm. are leaders. We are authors. We are actors. You know, whatever those titles are, we don't need to qualify them as women.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, you bring up the point of mompreneur, and I've never really thought about this before, but you never hear like dad. Entrepreneur. That's not a thing. It would never be a thing, right? It's like you're right. They have to qualify it by your gender because it makes it less.
1: Yes. Yes, like mm-hmm. I've never heard dad preneur. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never heard it. Like Mm-mm. who says that? Mm-hmm. Nobody. So then when we like mompreneur, why? Mm-hmm. Well, you're an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Own it. And I think it's also us softening these titles to make it more comfortable for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And because the world has made us uncomfortable about owning it. So what mm-hmm. happens when we start rejecting the idea that we're not supposed to own these titles? Mm-hmm. You know, if you have your own company, you're an entrepreneur. If you have a book, you're an author. Mm-hmm. If you've been writing for a long time, you're a writer. You know, and I and I just, part of the reason why like, I'm inspired, I'm constantly inspired by the women in my circle and even some I've never met. I take inspiration from everywhere.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm always going to loudly cheer on women who really show up in ways where I'm sure they've had to fight for, right? Like where they might be the only often in a room because they're in these elevated rooms Mm -hmm. that have locked other women out. The women who I know are always like, how do we get more of us in here? How do we normalize and create this world where we are not the only in room? So I also know part of my privilege that that I use is if I'm at a conference where I'm one of few women I will be asking the organizers, I need, like, here's five recommendations of women who should be in this room for the next Love one, it. Because this is unacceptable. If I'm on a panel, which I actually say no to all often now, I can't be the only woman on a panel. I will reject it. Mm-hmm. Like, nope, nope. Here's two other women you should have on here because I'm i not going to sit here and be the only. And I've called it out before where a conference actually removed, like, they resigned my invite when they sent me a... Um, the same me the speaker's lineup, the the graphic. Mm -hmm. And it's me, black woman, and eight white men surrounding me. And I was like, on an optics level, this looks terrible. Mm -hmm. Like, even just visually, it's uncomfortable to see. Mm -hmm. Me, the only dark face, only woman, and all these white men who all look the same.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I was like, you should invite other people who are not white men to speak at this conference, especially since it was a diversity and equity conference. <gasps> yes. And the CEO, when he got the email that I sent challenging him on this. Instantly got defensive, instantly was like, we are an equitable company. We think about all of these things. We just happens to have this speaker lined up. And it does not speak to our values of blah, 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 blah. And clearly this is not the right year for you to speak at this conference. Well, I already had the speaker's deposit, which if you cancel my speaking, I keep that. But he got challenged Mm -hmm. on a fact. I was like, it's me and eight white men. That's unacceptable. And he got offended as opposed to saying, you know what? I'd love for you to let us know five other types of speakers to have here. No, he instantly, and that's only happened once ever, mm-hmm. where I've challenged something in that way, like challenged a speaking engagement or a company, and they reacted by resigning my invite. It's never happened before, has not happened since. This happened three years ago, has not happened since. I'm speechless. Oh, yeah. I, that company name still in my head, and I'm like, fascinating. Mm -hmm. But I think we need to constantly have these moments where we step up in spite of what might be on the line, which was money. Right. Mm -hmm. I think at no point did I think I should have just been quiet because here's the thing that oftentimes we don't think about. So let's say I was quiet and I went to the conference that day and we had to take a speaker's photo. I wouldn't be proud to, to post that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I would hate to even see that exist, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right? Like I would not, I would cringe every time I would look at it. Mm -hmm. I always think about those moments whenever people are like, oh, I'm afraid of whether I should say something. I'm always like, would your silence make you proud? Will your inaction make you proud? If somebody who you really respect sees the thing that happens as a result of you being in that room, and challenges you and say, Did you say something? And you say, No. Will you be proud of your answer? I know I had to say something because in that moment, my silence was not going to make me proud. My inaction was not going to justify who I say I am. So I said the thing, the thing happened. But here's the thing that I also want us to realize about privilege I'm not struggling for money, I'm a speaker who's been on a bunch of stages. If my silence was going to be because I was afraid of losing the rest of the money, what was I actually putting on the line? I have money. I'm okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, in using, in talking about our privilege, we also have to figure out when you are afraid of taking action, what are you afraid of losing? The, the what, I, what I lost was money. But what I could have lost if I had done that thing was some of my self-respect, my integrity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I could have lost... A lot of the leg I have to stand on as a person who I say I am. And it was not worth the money. So I had to use my privilege.
0: I, I really like. I'm, I'm, I'm speechless right now, Lovey, honestly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am. I mean, I just like I think that's that's really important. To ask yourself, like when it's when you are thrown into those situations when you're trying to decide how you want to approach it, you know, and and those situations yours is obviously like on a very broad scale, but those things they happen in everyday life. And when you're trying to decide and make a decision about how you want to show up, it's would I be proud of this decision? Later on, you know, would I be proud of what I'm about to do? If if you had gotten on that stage and gotten the money, yeah, that's great. That's more money in the bank account. But would you have been proud of it? Right. You said, no. No. And so, you know, you, you did what you did something that you were proud of, and that is worth so much more than the money that would have gone in your pocket.
1: And that's the thing. mm -hmm. You stack your money in the moments you need so you can walk away from the moments that don't serve you. You know, I at no point, like part of the reason why I even make sure that I'm never operating from a place of desperation or because Mm -hmm. I don't have the money. And because I have the privilege of being a world-class speaker
2: Mm
1: -hmm. is that I no longer can use money as my excuse for doing something that feels not right. Mm -hmm. I am no longer somebody who can be like, well, I needed that money. So I had to do it. Mm -hmm. There are people who are living paycheck to paycheck Mm
2: -hmm.
1: who have to do the thing that they need to do for survival. Mm -hmm. Those people, I honor them. Do what you can, even if, if your silence is what is necessary for you to keep this check so you can feed your kids, please do that. For those of us who don't have acute things like that to put on the line, who are not at stake, you know, of losing our livelihoods, our homes, we have no excuse to not be courageous in these moments that are tough. I want to be able to use my power so the person who's living paycheck to paycheck does not have to put herself on the line ever. Mm -hmm. I want my power to hopefully make sure she stops living a paycheck to paycheck life. So, and I think that's the importance of privilege when it comes down to it is we're at a certain level and to whom much is given, much is required. What that requires is that you now start putting certain things on the line and sometimes it's going to be money, mm-hmm. but you have an abundance of money. If you're listening to this, if you're hearing this, if you're absorbing this, you're not usually the person that's living paycheck to paycheck purely because success magazines, demographics probably over index in, in income, right? So you're hearing this. I want you to feel convicted that because you're not living paycheck to paycheck, because you're not in fear of your life, of basic necessities, you have more that you can put on the line for other people. You know, mm-hmm. your voice, your power, your access, you know, just sometimes even your advocacy of saying, hey, this person should be in this room. All of that matters, and all of that makes a difference. It's not just in those big moments; it's in the, it's especially in the small ones where mm-hmm. nobody's watching, where you don't get any type of ribbons and trophies for doing the good thing. It's for those moments. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, Lovey, this is exactly why I wanted to bring you on this podcast, and I'm so glad that I had an opportunity to to talk with you today because your consistency, your just you your words your actions your voice everything is making such a big impact on so many people and i hope that you you know that that you are reaching millions and millions of people and women out there and i just want to say thank you for coming on to our podcast today and helping share that and make an impact here um because this has been such an empowering conversation and if our guests or listeners want to hear more from you you know where can they do that
1: yes So the first thing is, if any of this message has reached you, has compelled you, has convicted you, I want you to go buy my book, Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual. It is everywhere books are sold. This book is the one that I actually wrote to infuse this type of courage in all of us. You know, it's the book that I needed when I was afraid to call myself a writer. When, you know, imposter syndrome had told me I wasn't good enough. It is the book that I wish I read when I was about to quit this doctor dream that kind of assured me that it was going to be okay. So that's my first call to action. And the second, I am easy to find all over the internet. Uh, I'm at lovey. Um, That is my handle on all the different platforms. And um, yeah, come into the, come into the zeitgeist, come into the lovey zeitgeist. And uh, I also have my own podcast that is of the same name, as the book is called Professional Troublemaker. And I'm in conversation with fellow disruptors and trailblazers and people who are constantly doing the thing that feels big and scary, but they're doing it anyway. So yeah, three ways, buy my book, follow me on social media and listen to my podcast. All right, guys, buy
0: her book, follow her on social and listen to her podcast. Love you, thank you for joining us here today. And hopefully we'll hear more from you soon. Thanks so much, Madison. This has been Success Stories with Madison Piper. If you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe, drop a review, and tell your friends. If you'd like to hear more shows like this one, go to success.com
2: slash podcasts.